0: So tonight, we're, we're still in our Walking to Freedom series, but we're actually done with that because Pastor Ryan closed that out, what, two weeks ago? And then last week, we had Q&A. So I want to welcome everybody here tonight, everybody listening on our podcast channel, um, to what's going on. But last week was a Q&A, and we had a lot of people here. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, it was a good time. So this week, I thought that for the recap... I would do another Q&A with you. Yes. Yeah. Here we go. So I thought it would be good. So just want to ask a question. What's the longest chapter in the Bible? Anybody know? What was that? Close. 119. 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses, and it's also the longest psalm as well. So now next, what's the shortest chapter in the Bible? That's a verse. That's a verse. What's the shortest chapter? 117. That is correct. Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. It approximately has two verses and about 30 words, depending on what version that you use. So if you guys already got this next one, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? What is it? Jesus wept. Right. And that's in John Eleven Thirty Five. 35. And these small verses, Jesus wept, there was a lot of meaning in that. There was a whole lot of meaning. And just like tonight, when we go through what we're talking about tonight, it's a short verse, two verses, but there's a lot of meaning. It's just like faith like a mustard seed, right? If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can pray these mountain-moving prayers, and God will move those mountains, right? It's the small things, they have a lot of power in them. And Psalm 117 is the shortest of all of the 150 Psalms. And Psalms 113 through 118 are referred to as the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. These six Egyptian Hallel Psalms, 113 through 118, it was a tradition for the Jewish people to sing these before the Passover meal. They would sing these. They would go with 113 through 114 before the meal, and then they would close their meal with 115 through 118. And Hallel in Hebrew means praise. And that word, they get, we get that word hallelujah from that. In the ancient Jewish times, they recited these hymns on these three pilgrimage festivals where they offered up their required sacrifices at the temples in Jerusalem. And what they were doing is they were praising God for his deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And they did this over Passover. And I believe that Jesus was singing Psalm 117 after the meal with his disciples. And if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be tonight. We're going to be in Psalm 117. But I believe Jesus was singing this. What he was doing, he was praising God because he knew what was about to happen. He knew what was going on and he was praising him. And I can just imagine Jesus standing there with a smile on his face, praising God, because he knew what was going to happen when he went to the cross. At the last supper, he he sang this song with his disciples. In Mark 14, 26, it says this, truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And that hymn that they sung was this group of Hallel Psalms. At the Last Supper, Jesus took this Passover meal and he infused it with a new meaning that there was salvation. Salvation that was promised from God was not only a deliverance from their physical danger or human bondage, but it was salvation from their spiritual bondage. It was spiritual bondage and the grave danger of their sin. And this psalm is all about praise, the call to praise, and the reasons that we praise. These are two powerful and packed verses For all of us. So, this message starts in 117 with a command. So, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Psalm 117. And it says this Praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you people. And this is a command, but this isn't a command just for the Jewish people. It was for all people. He was saying all people, all nations. In the King James Version, I like it best, and it says this. I have it up there. It says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great towards you or towards us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. There's an action in that for us. And when we praise someone, we praise them for their achievements, especially who they are, and this is God. That's who we're praising. And this psalm opens with a praise, and it closes with a praise as well. And this should be a mark for all of us today as believers that the first phrase, uh, praise, translates in the Hebrew as Hallel, which means to give hallelujah. To say hallelujah. The second praise is Shavan, which means to extol. And a lot of us don't know what that means, but extol means to adore, to celebrate. And the synonyms of them is to honor, to glorify, to magnify God for who he is. And that's our part, right? That's our part. That's what we get to do. And the psalmist specifically commands the Gentiles also to praise God. This is called a global invitation. It means that God is indicating that his salvation goes beyond the borders of Israel. It's for the entire world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son for us. Our Lord's heart is towards all of us in the world. And God wants to draw everyone to him so that we can all have this divine fellowship and that we can spend eternity with him. So Psalm 117 says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you people. For great is his love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And really what this is saying is simply this. Praise God, everybody. Praise God. Applaud him, all you people. His love has taken over our lives God's faithful ways are eternal. Amen? We're called to praise God for who he is and his love towards us. We sang that at the beginning. How great is his love for each and every one of us? And the psalmist gives us two reasons why, and we're going to go over those. And the first reason is for God's great love towards us. God loves us so much. When we praise God, we not only tell him of his greatness, but also what we get to do is we get to brag on him a little bit, don't we? We get to brag on who our God is, our God and his great love for us. And when we focus on God and his love for us, his deserving our praises all the time, it takes off our focus of ourself in our earthly struggles, right? Anybody have earthly struggles here? Anybody? Am I the only one? So when we focus on God, we take our focus off of our problems and we put them on God. We exercise our faith. We don't exercise our faith in our problems. When we do that, we're admitting that our problems are bigger than God, that God can't take care of them, that our problems are bigger than him. So what we have to do is we have to change the way we think when it comes to how we praise. We need to direct our minds in all things. And I love this verse. We need to refocus. In Colossians 3, 2, it says this. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And I love this verse, and let me tell you why I love this verse. Because what this verse tells us is that God is saying that you can direct your mind. You can direct the outcome of what you think each and every day. You can control your mind, and you can determine the direction in which your mind is going. And that direction is simply praising God for who he is. We can get up every day and we can direct our mind and say, God, I want to praise you. That's where I want my mind to go each and every day. And let me tell you why that's huge. It's huge because when we focus on things that are above and not things that are down here, we keep our eyes focused on God and above the circumstances. God is the God of those circumstances. So we focus on him and bring those in. In Romans 8, 6, it says, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Amen? When we focus on God for who he is and praise him, we have a life that's filled by the Spirit and it's peace, praising God. And we can say each and every day that we can wake up every day and say, Holy Spirit, I want you to direct my mind. Right now, I want you to control what I think. Right now, I want you to control everything I do. I want to praise God with all my heart, all my mind, and all my soul. And we can do that. We live a spirit-filled life with peace from God. And we can only do that when we set our minds on things that are above, not on things of this world. As we focus on God, we focus on his character and his faithfulness. His faithfulness is to all people. And when we do that, we renew our minds each and every day. Romans 12 says to renew your mind. Don't conform to the ways of the world. We're not. We're praising God. And we do this with peace and excitement and joy for each and every new day. In Psalms 118, which is another one of the Hallel Psalms, it says, For this is the day the Lord has made. Be glad and rejoice in it. Amen? God makes each and every day, and we have the opportunity to control our minds, what we think, where we're going to go with that day, and praise God. And rejoice in the day that he has given us. And we look forward to each day with expectation and enthusiasm. As we give thanks to our Lord, for he is good and his love endures forever as we praise him. next point i like to make is this. God deserves enthusiastic praise. And that's what you were doing tonight. You were worshiping him. You were praising him. And it was enthusiastic. I got caught up in the moment. I wasn't even ready to come up here because I was in that. It was an enthusiastic church. You guys are awesome. And it was great. And the psalmist elsewhere puts it in 34.3, he says this, Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. All of us together, praising God. Great is the harvest of Gentiles, according to this verse, because it's all the world, the Gentiles, that would come into the kingdom of God and that would praise him. If we're worshiping people and we're praising the Lord, then we will be also witnessing people sharing the gospel. We will share the gospels. We will tell others how wonderful our God is. We won't be able to contain it. Our witness, we will not be able to contain our witness. We will want to tell people how great our God is, how great is his love for all of us, and all the things that he's done for us. In Acts 4.20, it says this, these are the disciples, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We're sharing the gospel. And that should be the same for us. When we see what God's doing in our lives, we want to tell people about that. We want to share the good news. God's salvation reaches all people. And when we realize who God is, the great I am, and he's there for every one of our needs, this should bring us great joy and comfort. Doesn't it bring you joy and comfort? He's all we need, everything that we need. In the Old Testament, it was called Jehovah-Jireh, is one of the different names that was used for God in the Old Testament. Um, the Lord will provide is what it is. In Genesis twenty-two fourteen, 14, it's the name that Abraham used when God provided the ram to be a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. And that popular song, uh, Jireh, that uh, it really means all we need, and that is what isn't it? That is all we need is what God gives us. And it reminds us that we are already loved and we're already chosen more than we can ever think or imagine. God loves us so much. And there's no need for us to worry. Does anybody worry? Anybody? Like I said, am I the only one that does it? Well, there's no need to worry with our relationship with God, and this will help all those people that do worry, that have struggle with anxiety, and they have stress. In Matthew six twenty-five through thirty-four, it says this: Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is it not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air; they do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father Feeds them. Are you not much more more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Do we worry about clothes? I think we do. We do. But why do we do that? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And all these things will be given to you as well. Putting God first in your life because he is worthy of that praise. And then verse 34 says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, for each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen? There's enough trouble today. We don't need to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, if God dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor and watches over each and every sparrow, how much more will he clothe us with his love? How much more will he clothe us with his love? And we praise God each and every day for that. And we let God have our days, don't we? We increase our praise each and every day as we increase our faith every day. In verse 34, I like it because it says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble in its own. The point I'd like to make here is this. We develop more faith in His power and love than in our worries. We develop more faith in His power and His love than our worries. God's love for his creation exceeds all our expectations. This includes the expectations we set for ourselves and how we should be and how we should act. Sometimes we get this perfectionism in us, don't we? We have these tendencies that we're perfect and then our expectations of what the future holds for us. And what happens when those expectations don't come to light? right? When we can't control the outcome of what's happening, because we don't control anything, do we? God does. He sits on the throne and he's in control of everything. But next time you're tempted to think, well, what if, and attaching a negative outcome to to the situation, remember, it's not yet happened. So why worry about it? Give the day over to the Lord. And if it never comes to pass, God's love is there. And if it does come to pass, his love towards us towards us, exceeds all our expectations. So it doesn't matter. We've been saved by grace. We've been saved by God's love. It's not by our works. It's not about what we do. If it were not for God's grace, we would still be in a dark, dark place. And still have death because of sin. God's love towards us exceeds all our expectations. And this should give us comfort. And the comfort that we have is knowing that God does not change. God does not change at all. And he wants to be our comforter, doesn't he? God's faithfulness is endless. The faithfulness of God has no end, and God's people are saved by faith, and we live by faith. But our faith would be mean nothing if it were not that we didn't have God's faithfulness that endures forever, amen? It's God's faithfulness that endures. So when we have anxiety and stress, I think it comes from a lack of faith. Sometimes we don't have enough faith and our unbelief gets the upper hand and our hearts get filled with anxiety and stress. And Jesus said that, ye of little faith. In John Piper's book, he aptly titled this article, it says, The Pride of Being Afraid reminds us that fear of men really is a mark of pride. It's really about being arrogant. It presumes to take over our responsibility for our comfort, which God has said he wants to handle. So when we start doing things on our own, we want to step up because we are afraid and fear starts taking over, and it shouts out that I want to do what I want to do. Fear takes the role of our protector, our guide, and our comforter, but these are the roles of our Heavenly Father right? Those are his rules, and he says it emphatically in Isaiah 51, 12. He says this, I, I am he who comforts you. God comforts us. We can't do it on our own, and God does not change. So when we allow ourselves to fear the displeasures of what man thinks or what man does, we're acting very arrogantly. In our situation, in Galatians 1:10, it says this: "Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We're presuming that our wisdom is above God's wisdom and God's promises. And God promises to be our comforter and our protector. But when we deny the credibility of God's word and we allow fear to set in and it stops us from being obedient and every time we let fear drive us, we're regarding ourselves as more important than God. Our emotions mean more than what God does. Our emotions mean more than the promises of God. So it makes sense when God says this, that I am the one who comforts you. Who are you should be afraid of a man who dies. We please God, not men. That's not why we're here. Then he goes on to say the second reason, his faithfulness and his word endures forever. For his merciful kindness is great towards us and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So why is the psalmist asking us or demanding such praise to God? Because of God's loving kindness and his faithfulness to us? His truth and his word, his faithfulness to complete what he has started in each one of our lives, which includes salvation for all of us. In John 6, 40, it says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. The word truth. What does that truth do to us? It helps us to stand firm. It helps us to be unshakable in a world that is full of trouble. There's all kinds of things going on, but we stand on the truth of the Word of God. That makes us unshakable. We stand firm. We stand firm on God's character, on who He is, because God cannot change, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He does not change. His word does not change. And we live by the promises of God, not the explanations of the world. And God doesn't change. The next point I'd like to make is this. God always keeps his promises. And whatever he promises, he will provide. And if God calls us to something, he is faithful to help us to do it. When I think of his faithfulness, when he calls someone to do something, I think of the cross. I think of Jesus on the cross. Because from the beginning it has always been God's plan for us. The restoration to have us restored to him in a relationship. And he wanted everyone in that relationship, the whole world, so that no one would perish. And we can always have hope and assurance knowing that God has already worked all these things out. Everything has already been worked out. God has taken care of all of it and he's worked it all out. You know, in Romans, the end of Romans, this chapter is about salvation and Paul puts it this way. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? Do we claim that promise in our lives? Do we claim the fact that if God is for us, Who can be against us? In Psalm 118.6, it says this, and I think this was a hint from Paul at these Hallel Psalms when he said this, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can mere man do to us? Like God says, man dies. I'm eternal. I'll be with you forever. And these Hallel Psalms there were a fitting passage to conclude the Passover celebration. And it's fitting for us today, these passages for us today, to celebrate our salvation from the power and the penalty of sin. God has given us victory over sin, victory over death. And I just love that. And in the last days when Jesus comes again, all those who believe in him will rejoice, right? Will all rejoice because of what he's done on the cross. Psalm 117 says this, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great towards us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And then Psalm 156 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He alone is worthy of this praise. And that reminds me that our praise is personal. Our praise to God is personal. Because we praise what we have value in, right? When we find value in something, we like to praise it. And there's value in God, right? Amen. There's value in God. It's our relationship that we have with God. That's the value. Because that's who we are in Christ. It's not who we are here on this world. in this world because when it looks at who we are, when we look at our value as being in our job, in our situation, what we do, the things we do, what happens when that job is gone? What happens when you no longer have that job or that recognition from man? What do we do? We kind of fall apart. But when we have our identity in Christ, that's who we are. We're a new creation in Christ. That's what we stand on. That's because our relationship is personal. The psalmist tells us, where should we worship? says, in the sanctuary, in his mighty heavens, and we should always be praising God everywhere, all the time, for eternity. And tonight, we're going to get an opportunity to praise God again. I'm going to ask Rachel to come up. Because why should we wait to the last day, right? Why should we wait to the last day to rejoice and praise our Lord Let's not hold anything back in our praise because God is the one who is worthy of receiving our praise and him alone. His merciful, loving kindness and the promises of salvation for all those who believe in Jesus Christ and receive him into their heart as their Lord and Savior. Our assurance is in the word of God and the God of the word. And I want to give you an opportunity after we sing this last song. Right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity before that. If you don't know God and you don't have that relationship with him, and you don't know what it is to praise God for who he is, because you have not experienced that love or that loving kindness that he has, I'm going to give you an opportunity now. If you just bow your heads and pray this prayer with me. Father thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. And I know that I'm a sinner and I repent of those sins. I turn away from those. I believe that you died for me on the cross and I will follow you all the days of my life. I know that you were victorious over the grave. And so I am victorious in life when I receive you into my life. And I ask that you would come into my heart and I would follow you all the days of my life and that I would cry out this psalm right now, praise you for your love endures forever. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for your son.